This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888-99 Charter is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Marsha in San Diego. How are you doing, Marsha? Yeah, I'm trying to help my son in uh, his investing. And okay. so currently he has a 401 with the company that he works for. He's been there for approximately two years. Okay. Putting in around 400 a month. Good for him. So he doesn't really have very much in there, but... Can I ask how old he is? Roth is really a better investment. How old is he? 28. 28. And is a Roth a better investment? Yes. I'm going to say yes, especially if you're 28. You know, he should fund a Roth IRA first before he goes into his 401k. Does the company match money for him? No. There's what's called Roth 401ks. Oh, really? Well, they have to choose to do this, first of all. So he should ask his company, are you guys uh, going to do a Roth 401k? Because then he could put more money away into a Roth 401k Mm -hmm. than a Roth IRA. I need to find out, and hopefully by calling you, what would be a good place for him to open up his okay. Roth. He wants to open up a Roth IRA. He can put up to $4,000 in it. Now, that's about what he's doing, doing 4800 a year. Yes. So he puts 4000 in the Roth IRA and put the 800 into his regular 401k. Okay. Okay. Now, how does he do that? He can easily go to almost any brokerage house. And I would go to a discount one. You could do it at eBay. But I would probably suggest... Maybe the Schwab One program. As a matter of fact, I don't even use Schwab, but I don't have any ties there. Mm-hmm. But they have a no-load, no-transaction-fee mutual fund program called the Schwab One program. Mm-hmm. And they love the IRA. So he could open up a Roth IRA at Schwab and say, I want it in the Schwab One program, and I'm going to fund it with uh, $400 a month. And, okay. they, and then once he has enough to buy in there, he can buy some mutual funds. And why I like it? Because there's about 2,000 different mutual funds he could buy from. Mm-hmm. And they're all no load and no transaction fees. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Now, who makes the decision as to what is going to be going into the Roth? I mean, what is going to be purchased in regard to the mutual funds? And- he does. Okay. okay. Now, he, he can hire someone like me, Okay. And that's fine, but then you've got to pay me. On a smaller account, I don't think it's worth it. If he does this, Marsha, mm-hmm. if you have him call me at my office, I will give him some mutual funds that we like that he can get the prospectus from, mutual funds that are sold at a Schwab that he can buy, and I'll give him some choices. Okay. Oh, that sounds wonderful. No cost, just because I like helping people, and especially a 28-year-old just getting started. I know. That's so important, and I think he's really starting to see <laughs> I mean, the so. 28-year-olds, and you know, they don't think they're ever going to get old, but they do. Yes, I know. Just like we did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Marsha. I appreciate the call. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Let's go to David in Chula Vista. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I got a question about a local company, the ServiceNow, that's going to be going public soon. Uh-huh. I like what the company does. Haven't uh, got a chance to dive into fundamentals yet, 
But how long would you generally wait before starting to get involved with something like this? If a company comes out IPO, trying to buy it on the first day is very, very difficult, Dave. Because, you know, that many times if the IPO market's hot, it comes out, they say, well, it's going to be $14 a share. And the first trade is 18 Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. You and I can't get it at 14 you know, and we're buying it for, from the people who got it at 14. They're selling to us at 18. They've already made a huge profit, and they're out. So Yeah, and then I'm stuck with it at a high point. Exactly. So that's why I tell people, stay away from it. Usually, wait till six months. And this is why, David. After six months, the insiders are now allowed to sell some shares. They are precluded from doing that for about six months. In other words, they have to hold on. The insiders have to hold on to the shares for about six months. Oh, okay. So what you see after about six months, generally speaking, starting a little bit before six months, is the stock starts trading down back close to its IPO price very often. Very okay, often. that makes sense. I'll, I'll sit tight and then take a look then. Yeah, just keep watching. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. Michael, Half Moon Bay. How you doing, Michael? Okay, I don't know a whole lot about this subject. So okay. I think it's a pretty good question, though. I worked for a company... I invested in my stock. I bought it outright when I left the company. It's still privately held company. It has not gone public. But it was just recently purchased by a, I guess the term is a blank check company that's huh. already public. Uh -huh. I don't know what that means for me and my stock. I got a, a letter saying that they were going to purchase my stock back from me. But I was kind of holding out till it goes to common stock. But I'm not sure if I'm capable. It doesn't sound like they're going to let me do that. No, since it's a private company, it's not a public company, you don't have much say. Okay. Uh, they're going to buy all the stock. question in your mind is, what are you going to buy it for? How much? Well, they made an offer to me, but I'm like, I don't know that if I do have an opportunity to go back and say, no, I want to sell you it for this much and see uh, what they say. If your stock has a voting power, do you know if it does? Voting? I don't think I have enough for a voting power, no. Yeah, see, most of the voting power is probably held by the insiders, the people who... Exactly. Okay, and those guys are going to make the decision, you or not. Uh, You're going to have to follow on their coattails. Unfortunately, the option that would be left to you is filing suit as a, a minority shareholder. Right. But you feel like you're getting a shaft, and the majority shareholders are getting the benefits, and you're not. Right. That does happen, but it's extremely expensive, and you don't want to go that way. It's a nice little chunk, and I'm happy, mm -hmm. but I had absolutely different plans for that yeah. money. And so they messed it up for you. Well, I mean, at least something happened with it. It's been a while. You know what I mean? Uh, so yes. I feel I feel good about that. Now, what would you think about taking some of that money and buying it into the company that just bought? If you feel that the fundamentals of the company, that, of the shares that you own, if you feel that's really going to benefit this new company and it's really going to accelerate this new public company's earnings, then yeah, that's a okay. good way to go. If it's so small, the company, that you, stock that you own, if it's like 5% or 10% of the company that's buying it, then it will make no difference. You have to look at the company that's buying it to make sure that they're solid. Right, right. So okay. take a look at the relative size and what it really is going to do to their earnings. Okay. Well, good luck with it, Michael. Well, thank you very much. You were very helpful. I appreciate the time. Thank you for calling. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART. 
888-992-4278. You can get through right now. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888 992 4278. Let's go to David in San Francisco. How are you doing, David? I'm great. Thank you. I had a question about which brokers do you put your trades through and why, and which program platforms on the PC or Mac you trade on a daily basis and why? I'm going to be a little bit different from you because I'm a professional. You know, I don't go through brokers because a broker is someone who puts the order in and buys and sells the stock for you. We do our own trading. So we have a platform that, you know, level two platform that goes directly to the floor. And we do our own trading. So we don't go through brokers. It's much like if you got E-Trade or, you know, Scott Trade or something like that, where you put your own trades in, I do too for my clients. Those people are not brokers. Those are custodians and those are clearing houses. Broker is somebody like, you know, you go to Merrill Lynch or somebody and you put in an order. So we don't use that. The platforms that we use to make our trades, yeah, I think we're on the custodian platforms of the custodian of our client's money provides a platform of their own. It's a little different than yours. Which platform or broker or slash custodian you suggest us to trade our trades? I really like TradeStation. Have you seen TradeStation? They're out of Florida. They provide a very neat level two platform for people like you and me. You know, just a regular trader, a guy. E-Trade's good and the others are pretty comparable, but I like TradeStation probably a little bit. I think it's a little bit better than the rest. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Gary in San Jose. How are you doing, Gary? Well, I have a question on uh, gold reserves of uh, foreign countries that are in sovereign debt. Okay. And if they start selling their gold to get out of their debt, what would that do to the market of gold? Well, of course, it depends on how big their gold reserve is, Gary. I mean, if it's huge, it would definitely put a huge downward pressure on the gold price. But most likely, if you're talking about a normal country or average size country, it won't probably do much to the gold price. It probably won't because they have, what they'll do, Gary, is they'll hide the fact that they're selling it. You won't know until after the fact. You know, because they also hide hide the fact that they're buying it. You know, China does. India does. Everybody does. I've never heard anyone talk about uh, the sovereign debt in relationship to their gold reserves. Yeah, most of the time because they hold on to the gold reserves because it's worth something. They usually don't talk about it because they don't usually sell it. And if they did, it would be a function of their uh, Federal Reserve, whatever they would call theirs in their country. And that would be a secret kind of behind-the-scenes thing going on to gather some money. Then they would announce it to us, and we would even never know about it. I listen to your show every day. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. Thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. Thank and, you. And keep up the good work. Thank you. Okay, let's go to Jerry in Pittsburgh. Hi, Jerry. Uh, what I'd like to ask is your philosophy on managing a uh, 401k account okay. that all your choices are either mutual funds, index funds, or bonds. Right. How to best manage. Good question. For all you 401k people out there, you are in charge of running your own money and you probably need some help. One of the things I would suggest right now is stay away from the bond funds in those 401ks. 
that means no bond funds and that means no mixed funds or no balanced funds if they have bonds most balanced funds are stocks and bonds if interest rates are going to rise your bond fund portion of your portfolio will suffer yes you'll get a nice dividend of three four percent whatever it is five percent i don't know the net asset value may go down five ten fifteen percent what good is the three and four percent of the whole thing when the interest rates are rising that's where you stay away from bonds you should probably move gravitate if in your 401k over to more of the mid cap value small cap value large cap value the value side of the market versus the growth side is where I would be more comfortable in if you have those choices and don't hesitate to have a little bit in international okay okay thanks a lot let's go to Matt and Cupertino how you doing Matt uh, thanks for taking my call a quick question for you is curious in your opinion versus mutual bond funds or individual bond ladders I would rather see you buy a ladder of individual bonds than bond funds Mm-hmm. You know why? Tell me. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm calling. Okay. Bond funds now, you got to remember what a bond fund does. It buys a bunch of bonds. So you get nice diversification. That's a big plus, okay? Mm-hmm. But the net asset value of that bond fund will go up and down depending on interest rates, okay? Mm-hmm. So if interest rates are moving up, and you have a bond fund, the net asset value of that fund will go down. You'll still get your yield, in other words, the dividends that are coming in through those bonds. You'll still get those. But if your yield is 5% and the bond fund net asset value goes down 5%, you're no further along. If you buy the bonds direct and you buy a good spread of very safe bonds, I'm not interested in high-risk stuff. We're, ta- we're talking about very safe stuff. If you buy them and hold them to maturity, they also will go up and down in value, but you will always get your money back plus the yield if you hold them to maturity. Whereas in a bond fund, that doesn't happen. Even though they may hold them to maturity, but the bond fund value goes up and down based on the interest rates. So you can buy a personal bond and you can buy it and hold it and it will go up and down in value. But if you hold it to maturity, you'll get that money back. That's not necessarily so in a bond fund. That makes total sense. You saved me a few hours. Okay. (laughs) Matt, I appreciate it. I like bonds. I'm not opposed to them. But right now, I'd keep them short duration. Like one to five or how short? Five years or less. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate the call. We have a program that does buy bonds. We hold in maturity inside there. So we know that they'll go up and down in value, but we'll get the yield and they'll go back to their par value when they mature so that you don't have that huge risk of a bond fund that will go up and down. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley and we're here to help you get better results if we can with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now. 888-99-CHART. presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 CHART and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99 chart is our number 888-992-4278. Let's go to Lisa in San Francisco. How you doing Lisa? Very well, thank you. What can I do for you? I am calling because at the moment, my husband and I have a mutual fund, and all of it, all of our investments are in the stock market. Okay. And we want to go into a safer mode. Okay. And we're looking into another mutual fund that has bonds. However, my concern, it will be a more a bond fund. My concern is 
what is going on in the market, saying that the government is not solid enough, and so having my concern is those bonds and the treasuries. It's usually most of it. What we're looking at is into treasuries. Okay. Am I moving my money? But are bonds risky? I mean, corporate bonds could be because it depends on the corporation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about U.S. bonds. Okay, that's a good question, Lisa. The bonds itself, the, the U.S. Treasury bonds themselves are not risky, but a bond fund is risky. Yeah. When you buy a bond directly from the U.S. government, you get the bond, you hold it to maturity, so you get your interest and you get your money back, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in a bond fund, they buy all kinds of bonds in there. Okay, Okay. and they have different maturity dates because they buy some today and then they buy some tomorrow, next week, the week, on and on and on. So what happens in a bond fund, they have bonds maturing all the time and they reinvest the money, right? Uh So if interest rates right now are 4%, you're going to get 4% about a yield on your bond fund. But if interest rates go up to, let's say, 8%, the old bonds are paying 4% go down in value, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you can buy a new one for 8 Those old ones, I'm not going to buy those unless you give me a big discount on them to give me an ultimate 8% return because they're so cheap. So what happened is the bond fund value, the net asset value, you know, what, you, what the bond fund is worth, goes mm-hmm. down when interest rates go up, even though you still get the yield, you get the payment of the dividend, okay? So if interest rates start to rise over next week, next month, next year, two years, three years, the value of your bond fund therefore and will go down. Therefore, the money you put in will go less, get less and less and less. But you'll still get your dividend yield. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Very good question. Let's go to Margaret in San Francisco. How are you doing, Margaret? Hi. I wanted to know about ETFs. I heard that they are better than mutual fund except for the mineral one. And I don't know how to critique them or find out the best ones because I'm holding very, very old mutual funds and a lot of stocks that uh, many are stable, but they're not making me any money because I paid so much money back in 99. Ah, Okay, the difference between ETFs and mutual funds, this is the basic difference. ETFs usually follows a slice of the market. It could follow the S&P 500. It can follow oil companies. It can follow any kind of slice of the market. But their ETFs market are not managed by a manager like a mutual fund is. They're dumb. They just follow an index. They follow an industry. You know, they don't trade and they just hold it. You have to know when to get in and out of that ETF. That's the main difference between an ETF and a mutual fund. Mutual fund is the manager. He's supposed to be picking stocks and selling them and do the right things. That's the difference. I like ETFs. They act like stocks. You can buy and sell them like stocks and you get instant diversification, but you still need to know what you're buying and when to get in, when to get out. Margaret, thanks for the call. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions. Everyone who listens to this program either is a beginner or was one at that one time. So we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? Is that when you hear a company say it's going to buy its own stock back, that's a good thing. Yes. But let's say the company's current stock price is $20. What price are they buying their own stock back? They usually buy it in the open market, just like you would do that. Right. What they do, if you pay attention, David, they say we're going to buy back $500 million worth of our own stock. Right. 
they'll say, we'll do that over the next year, two years, five years. They'll tell you the length of time. Oh, okay. And they will say that. And then they don't just go out and buy it like tomorrow. No, 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 no. And sometimes they'll buy it when they think it's the right time to buy it on low prices. Or the most common thing is they look for a downturn in that, that stock price and they'll buy it then to try to hold the price up. Do they like dollar cost average their own stock then? The, nope. Uh-uh. They might buy $100 million today and then wait six months and buy another $200 million then. It's totally up to them and they don't tell you what their plan is in Oh, detail. okay. So has their plan ever been to drive their own stock price down purposely to mm. buy shares? Most of the time, no. It's to drive it up. No, I, no I mean, but I mean to buy their stock back at a cheaper price. No, they have no way to drive it down. They can't manipulate okay. it. In other words, oh, okay. that would be very bad, and they would get in a lot of trouble by the SEC. Oh, yeah, right. But, you know, these guys get in trouble all the time for doing crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> okay. If your answer is could they, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Could. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they could, sure. Yeah, they certainly could. They generally don't. And you'll also find that they'll announce a buyback program. And they'll say they'll buy it back within two years, and, and two years pass, and they didn't fulfill their agreement to buy back their stocks. Sometimes they don't do what they say they're going to do, too. Now, wouldn't they get in trouble for that? Because it sounds like that, that when you mentioned you're going to buy your own stock back, that that would raise the price of the stock up. You would think so. But they'll have reasons like we had better uses of the money. Maybe we wanted to put the uh, money into buying a new company. That was an opportunity. You know, they'll, huh. they'll come up with something. But I've yeah. seen them announce buybacks and then not actually follow through with the whole buyback. Yeah, that's not right. No. Appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you, 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your question. Numbers are elusive. But if it goes to zero, do you lose all your money? They're always changing. As you know, Apple is all-time high again. InvestTalk listeners know it's all about the numbers. I'm 82. I'm interested in knowing what the recommended withdrawal rate would be. So the questions keep coming. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm question regarding real estate. Everything counts. Jason, El Segundo, how you doing? Let's go to Michael in Fremont looking at Occidental Petroleum. And here's an interesting number. Downloads for the Invest Talk podcast now average 450000 each month. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate your insight and your understanding of the market and financial business. Since it all started, the total number of InvestTalk downloads has now exceeded 19 million. InvestTalk.com You're listening to an encore presentation of InvestTalk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. How about if we go to Bill and Livermore? How are you doing, Bill? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. You? I'm great. I'm really doing well. My question was, what's the difference between a uh, registered investment advisor and a certified financial planner? Very good question, and there is is a great big difference. A registered investment advisor is a guy who manages portfolios. We actually manage money. 
A financial planner does not manage money. A financial planner manages every piece of aspect of your financial life. In other words, he may suggest you buy life insurance. He'll talk about your medical coverage. He'll talk about your house and what kind of mortgage you have. And maybe you need to refinance or get a different mortgage. And he will talk about you know where you should put your money in this mutual fund or that. And he'll sell you loaded funds. He'll tell you to put them in loads. But he himself does not manage money. A registered investment advisor gets paid taking a small piece of the money he manages, a financial planner usually gets paid in one of two ways. He gets commission on the products he sells, life insurance, house and uh, remortgaging a house, he gets a fee for that. He gets a fee for sending you to loaded funds, okay? But he physically does not manage the money, which an advisor does. We get paid a fee for managing the money. Okay. Thank okay. you for the call. Bye. We're going to go to Chris and Hayward. How are you doing, Chris? I was just curious, you're flipping through the dials and listening to you. I was curious that there's been so much uh, you know, online infomercials and stuff like that. In fact, I even attended recently a, uh, like a teach me the trade type. Um, and I don't know anything about stock. They obviously were you know, really flashy and had a lot of information. I was curious if I can get your opinion on that kind of stuff. You know, unfortunately, people make it sound like it's super exciting. You can get in and out. You buy it at the bottom, sell it the top and you could do this and everybody could do this chris to be honest it's a lot harder than it seems yeah it really is the stock market moves up when earnings increase that's as simple as that if you have a company that makes money and it makes more and more money eventually the stock price will move up the problem chris is it's not a perfect correlation in other words if my earnings go up today the stock doesn't go up today because all of us guys, me included, are looking for next year because I want to be ahead of everybody else. We're all competing with each other. So, Chris, if I can mention just one thing to put in your head. Stock prices move up on earnings. Now, I know you're, you're going to say, and, and it is true, well, you got stocks that go up all the time that don't have earnings. Yes, that's true. Those are called story stocks. They have a great story. I have the next cure for cancer. The stock will shoot up. But in fact, if they don't come out with that cure for cancer, that stock will shoot right back down and go lower. So that's a story that they don't have it yet, that they're working on it. Earnings actually means I have made money, I am making money, I'm putting it in my pocket, and you as a stockholder, remember you own this company, you have made money. If you don't believe me, look at Microsoft over all its history. It's gone up 10,000% since it started. Thousands and thousands of percent. It's because it's always made money. It right. has not moved in two years and still makes a lot of money. That's why I mean it's not a perfect correlation. Right, I hear you. <laughs> that can happen to you. But if you're going to be in this game any length of time, Chris, buy stocks that make money, you'll be a lot happier in the long run. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the call. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Talk. 
let's go to Fred in San Diego. How are you doing, Fred? Hi. Um, I would like to know, are there any general guidelines for setting a hedge position, take a generic one? In other words, what I'm concerned about is how to um, set those proportions. Would it have anything to do with the uh, proportion of the numeric risk at the time you set it? In other words, for example, if you want to set a um, hedge for the uh, index of the uh, S&P or the uh, NDX, how would you proportion it? For everybody else, let's make sure we understand what the hedge means. Uh, hedge, everybody, means that you're in a position and you want to protect it from going down. Most common hedges are they're in a position, you made a lot of money, it's been going up, and you want to hedge it or hedge the whole portfolio against a fall in the market. So that means you put on positions that will go up when everything, it goes in the opposite direction is what it wants to do. So Fred's asking, well, is there rules as to how much of a hedge? Yes. In other words, uh, how much would you put into going long or short to create that hedge? Okay. Um, would it have anything to do with um, what you assess the risk, per numeric risk at that time would be? In other words, if you assess that the numeric risk is three going long and one going short, mm -hmm. would it be have anything to do with that? There's many ways to hedge. Uh, you yeah. can hedge with options. and Oh, yeah. Just take a, a generic, uh, uh, you know, long-short position, okay. which can be done with the ETFs. Well, let's say you feel that the, the odds of the market are going up or continuing to go up are very strong. You have to determine that, by the way. Just mm -hmm. uh, say you think it's uh, three to one. In that situation, you wouldn't want to put more than 25% a short position. For instance, let's say you have a portfolio of stocks that you like and you still think they're going to go up, but you're worried about the overall market. You can short the overall market, but still hold on to your positions because some of them still may go up, but even though the market goes down. But how much is that is basically what you think the risk is. But yeah. uh, there's no general guidelines. No. Um, no. no. Okay. It's all individual and how much risk are you comfortable with? Okay. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Keith in Sonoma. How are you doing, Keith? Yeah, Steve, I had a quick question for you. Sure. If I want information and to chat with other people to play a saxophone, there's a forum that I go to online, and I can talk to people all over the world about various aspects. Mm -hmm. Is there something like that for stocks? There is a lot of chat rooms in the investment websites. Yeah. Almost all of them have chat rooms. Be very careful with that, Keith, because you don't know who's a pumper dumper out there. Yeah, that's what I want. I want more like ordinary people like myself trying to educate and right. and make it do a better job of uh, managing my own portfolio. I can understand that, but see, when you get into the investment field, you've got a lot of scammers out there. Okay. That always okay. scares me when you sit there and you don't really know who's on the other end. I'm just going to warn you, there are good, solid information out there. There is. And yeah. you know you can get a pretty good feel for what companies are doing. But every once in a while, there's a scammer out there inside that little chat room, guy who's trying to sell something. He'll convince you to move to this or to move to that, and he sounds very convincing. That's what I fear, Keith. I, I fear yeah. that. If so you want to learn more and more and more stuff, reading is always a good place. I know that sounds not exciting. You want to talk to people. Come to our conference. All it is is a teaching conference. We don't try to sell you a thing. It sounds good. If my back holds up, I'm going to 
try and get down there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no selling. We'll give you breakfast, and, you know, it's pretty reasonable, and we'll give you all kinds of handouts to help you. I really do love doing those conferences because of the teaching aspect of it. Okay, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. Mike and Santee, how you doing? Uh, I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, my wife and I just had our first child uh, about yes. 20 days ago, and I am looking into some kind of college saving plan. I'm trying to weigh a 529, just like a regular investment account. Okay, there's also what's called a Coverdell. Have you heard those yet? No, I haven't. There's what's called the Coverdell. They used to be called the Education IRA, but now they call them Coverdells. So there's the 529 and the Coverdells. Those are the two tax-deferred college saving plans that you have to choose from. Now let's go over the difference real fast. A 529 is sponsored by a particular state. You can go to any state. You can, from California, you can buy an Illinois 529 plan. You can buy a California 529 plan. And each state has its own 529 plan. The good thing about a 529 plan is you can put a lot of money away. Uh -huh. a, a lot. You know, if you make more and more money going forward, you can put more and more money away. The bad thing about a 529 plan, it can only be used for an accredited college. Yeah. That's it. Now, a Coverdell, you can put up to like $3,500 a year. There's a maximum, okay? It changes every year, but I think it's $3,500, maybe $4,000 per year. Okay. The good thing about that is it's much more flexible. It doesn't have to go to college. Let's say when your little child gets... Uh, I don't know, uh, goes to elementary school, you want to send them to private school. Let's say you want to do that. Well, you can use that Coverdell for private schooling. Okay. You can also use it to buy a computer, books, other things for education, not just tuition. Okay. You see, so there's a little bit more flexible in the Coverdell, but you can't put as much money away. Okay, well, those are the two options. I appreciate the uh, input on that. Good luck, Mike, and congratulations, uh, boy or girl. Uh, girl. God, boy, that's what I wanted. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate Thank the you. call. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Let's talk to Rick in San Diego. How you doing, Rick? Oh, good, good. Thanks for calling. Okay. I went to a, a hard assets conference a while ago, and one of the guys, some of the guys we talk about, instead of buying stocks, to buy warrants. Yes. And I'm not exactly sure what warrants are. Warrants are a, are, are a right to buy a stock. Okay, so many times when a company takes over or there's a rights offering, you might get, okay, we're going to give you our, an IPO. They may give you, okay, you, we're going to give you 1,000 shares. You can buy 1,000 shares, and we're going to give you warrants to buy another 1,000 shares. And the warrant itself can be traded based on what the value of the company is. They're not common. It's more uncommon. A warrant is a right to buy more shares of a particular company. Are they risky, advisable, or what's your rough opinion? Yeah, well, warrants, unlike options, it's not like you have the right to buy it at a certain price. It's not like that. It's the right to buy it. Okay. So it's the right to buy it at the price it is at the time you decide to buy it. Some You could do it that. There are warrants that you can buy it within a certain period of time. There's warrants. See, it depends on the warrant. Do and they expire? Yes, they do. Some expire. Most of them expire, the ones I've seen, but some last forever, too. So there could be a time decay on some. It could be, yes. 
Uh, a lot of times people want, you know, I want a thousand shares like an IPO and then I want the right to buy more because you may not have enough right now because it's, it's oversubscribed. More people want it than there are available. Uh, another way it happens if one co company A buys company B, it give you the right to buy more shares of the company that bought. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Warrants, everybody. It's not too common. You hear more about options, uh, call options, and put options, and that gives you the right to buy or sell a stock at a certain price in a certain time frame. Warrants don't work that way. John and Oceanside. How you doing, John? How you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, my question is, um, I heard this uh, rumor people been talking about, if you buy a stock that is interest and you reinvest the interest and hold on to that stock eventually you get rich that's true well uh it depends well <laughs> that's kind of a broad <laughs> statement uh, when you say you're talking about dividends right when you buy stock yes. and it pays dividends i'll tell uh -huh. you this dividends make up about 30 to 40 percent of the return of the s p 500 over the last hundred years dividends are very very important so when you reinvest them, the answer is it will help greatly get you rich. But you have to buy the right dividend-paying stocks. You can't buy a stock that goes out of business in 20 years or 10 years. Like uh, ExxonMobil? Yeah, ExxonMobil is a perfect example. It's going to last forever. You can buy a couple of drug companies you know, that pay very high dividends. You also want to buy companies that are growing, you know, growing their earnings and growing their dividends. So it's not just paying the dividends, but also increasing the dividends. So, John, you can build like a little portfolio of these high dividend paying, growing companies, and you'll do very well over time. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Michael, Half Moon Bay. How you doing, Michael? Okay, I don't know a whole lot about this subject. So okay. I think it's a pretty good question, though. I worked for a company. I invested in my stock. I bought it outright when I left the company. It's still privately held company. It has not gone public. Okay. But it was just recently purchased by a, I guess the term is a blank check company that's huh. already public. Uh -huh. I don't know what that means for me and my stock. I got a, a letter saying that they were going to purchase my stock back from me, but I was kind of holding out till it goes to common stock, but I'm not sure if I'm capable. It doesn't sound like they're going to let me do that. No, since it's a private company, it's not a public company, you don't have much say. Okay. Uh, they're going to buy all the stock. question in your mind is, what are you going to buy it for? How much? Well, they made an offer to me, but I'm like, I don't know that if I do I have an opportunity to go back and say, no, I want to sell you it for this much and see uh, what they say. If your stock has a voting power, do you know if it does? Voting? I don't think I have enough for a voting power, no. Yeah, see, most of the voting power is probably held by the insiders, the people who... Exactly. Okay. And those guys are going to make the decision, you or not. Uh, You're going to have to follow on their coattails. Unfortunately, the option that would be left to you is filing suit as a, a minority shareholder. Right. You feel like you're getting a shaft, and the majority shareholders are getting the benefits, and you're not. Right. That does happen, but it's extremely expensive, and you don't want to go that way. It's a nice little chunk, and I'm happy, mm -hmm. but I had absolutely different plans for that yeah. money. And so they messed it up for you. Well, I, I mean, at least something happened with it. It's been a while. You know what I mean? So uh, yes. I feel I feel good about that. Now, what would you think about taking some of that money and buying it into the company that just bought? If you feel that the fundamentals of the company, that, of the shares that you own, if you feel that's really going to benefit this new company and it's really going to accelerate this new public company's earnings, then yeah, that's a okay. good way to go. If it's so small, the company that you, stock that you own, if it's like 5% or 10% of the company that's buying it, 
then it will make no difference. You have to look at the company that's buying it to make sure that they're solid. Right, right. So okay. take a look at the relative size and what it really is going to do to their earnings. Okay. Well, good luck with it, Michael. Well, thank you very much. You were very helpful. I appreciate the time. Thank you for calling. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, call it savings plan. Well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions, so we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? You told us some time ago how to, a couple of methods to figure the value of a stock. Would you repeat those for me? Certainly. I'd be happy to, Jay. There's two very easy ways. That's now, these, of course, are not the only ways, Jay. Yes. But these are two very easy, quick ways to do it so you can get an idea if you're overpaying or underpaying for a stock. The first one yep. is takes next year's earnings per share. Next year's earnings per share. Let's say it's a dollar per share next year. Not this year, the future. You want to know what the future is. And let's say that earnings per share grew 20%. So this year, maybe the earnings per share is $0.85, cents, and next year it's going to be a dollar, and it grew about 20%. Okay. All you do is take 20, that percent, 20, the number 20, times next year's earnings per share of a dollar, and that stock is worth about $20. Where do you get those numbers? There's a number of places. They're all over the Internet. You go to MSN Money, you can go to Yahoo Finance, and all these will give you earnings projections for next year and tell you what the earnings are this year per share. I see. And then all you do is look at it and say, oh, okay, they may not give you the percentage, but they'll tell you, okay, the company made 72 cents per share this last year, and the analysts expected to go to a, uh, earn a dollar twenty next year. Well, gee, well, how much is that? That's 50 cents. That's about an 80% increase. Yep. 80 times next year's earnings per share, that's the stock price. That's the number one. The second one is you should never pay more than about two times the market capitalization for the sales that the company is making. So let's say the company is selling a billion dollars worth of product. Yep. And the total market capitalization is $5 billion. What is a market capitalization? Simple number. It's a number of shares outstanding times the price of the shares. That number is $5 billion and they're only selling $1 billion. That means that's more than two times sales. That's not a very good number. Never pay more than four times sales. That's a very bad number. So that just gives you an idea of the overall bigness and how much sales to relationship is. And that's important relationship. Those are two ways to evaluate a stock. Very fine. Appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's go to Frank and Blythe. How are you doing, Frank? I have a question about where I should be putting my investment dollars. I've got several hundred going into my 401 and about the same amount going into my 457. And then I'm also doing a small monthly amount into a just a brokerage account that I'm playing on the stock market. Should I be switching some of those funds into the Roth IRA? How old are you? 42. Uh, do you have a current Roth IRA? 
No, I do not. You have a 401k? I have a 401k and a 457. Okay. Are you currently working at the place where the 401k is established? Yes. Okay. So you got to leave it there. The 457, is that a current active 457 account? Yes. So you got to leave both those there. So you really can't do anything with a Roth IRA with those monies. And if you're making too much money on an annual basis, you can't even open up any IRA. So it depends on how much money you're making, Frank. You might be making way too much. You might be one of those rich guys. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all wish, okay? 401k and 457 for everybody else. Those are retirement types of accounts. Frank, you're 42. If you're going to open up a retirement account, either an IRA or Roth IRA, it should be probably the Roth IRA, not the regular IRA. But you may be precluded with these retirement accounts you have, and you have to talk to your tax guy or your accountant because he knows how much money you're making, and he can tell you, okay, yeah, you can do it. And you can do that like March or just before tax time and open it for this year. Next year, you can open it for the year before. Oh, okay. I can still take the deduction. Correct. Now, the deduction is on a regular IRA. A Roth IRA, you do not. You pay with after-tax dollars. But all the growth that you have over the next years, you never have to pay a tax dollar on anything that grows in that Roth IRA. Okay. I guess I'm kind of looking to as I'm putting money into the stock market yes. to a real stable one. Would I be better off putting those monies that I'm putting into that into the Roth? Probably because you can invest it in the same things. Oh, okay. Let's say your uh, current account is at E-Trade. Right. You can open up a Roth at E-Trade, a Roth IRA. Okay. And, and then you can trade it the same. If I trade within the Roth IRA, is that money is still non-taxable? All non-taxable, yes. That is cool. Okay. All right. That's why I'm thinking, do it. <laughs> you know, it's got some nice advantages. That'd be sweet. Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another InvestTalk program, everybody. Please remind your friends that they can listen to Invest Talk five days a week in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time. And they can download podcast shows anytime they want. Justin will be here on Monday. I will return on Tuesday. So, everybody, have a great weekend. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.